You weren't somebody unless you had somebody. Yeah? The Bible tells quite a different story. Like if, if you are not enslaved by that desire, you can do so much with your life. And if marriage is God's plan for you, He will bring somebody to you. Plain and simple. So marriage is a shield. Y'all, singleness is a sword. Last week was interesting. This week is just as interesting. <laughs> We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. And before I pray, let me just issue a disclaimer and say explicit content, okay? Because the Bible is not rated G. Um, and Paul gets at some, some things today. And uh, Darren Blacktop pulpit this last week, uh, talking with uh, talking with, it was it was a crossover episode. I was talking with the the ladies and 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 Ken, <laughs> and, uh, and we we're talking about how important it is for us to teach our children these things in the context of church, um, rather than just letting schools teach the things that we are about to discuss this morning. Um, last Sunday. Uh, Gary came up to me, and, and today Gary's going to join our fellowship as a member of the church at Sunsight, so that's going to be awesome. Um, he came up to me last Sunday, and he said, you know what I really appreciate here? Um, what he really appreciates about walking through Scripture is you have to talk about real stuff instead of just skipping around to what you want to talk about. So we'll, we're, we're getting at that again this morning because the text gets at that again this morning, so... So pray for me. <laughs> let's, let's pray and we'll dive into this passage of Scripture. God, we want to thank you so much for everything you do. We want to thank you for your Bible. We want to thank you for the sacrifice of your Son. We want to thank you for bringing us together here this morning as a local church family. Pray for those who are not with us, who who are instead doing other things or not able to join us. God, we thank you for, for the desire you have given us to be with, with your body, for our own sanctification, for our, for our upbuilding so that you might make us complete, such as the purpose of, of the church in this life. As we look to today's passage on this Pentecost Sunday, God, we ask you to speak to our hearts. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds that understand what you have to say. And through the proclamation of your word, conform us more to the image of your Son. And God, we love you. That's why we are here together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, Paul is getting at the division of the church, and if you remember, the main source of division is immaturity in the body of believers. Uh, Paul has talked about church discipline. He has talked about forgiveness. He has talked about uh, sexuality. He has talked about 
offendedness in the body of believers. He has talked about idolatry, adultery, effeminacy, homosexuality, uh, swindling and reviling. He has covered virtually every topic so far that we deal with when it comes to the sin of anyone within any church or outside the walls of a church. Uh, He has revealed to us that our bodies belong to the Lord, not ourselves. Therefore, no person has a right over his or her own body, especially so for the Christian who has surrendered to Christ, right? Uh, said, I want to live by God's law, not my own, not according to my own identity, not according to my own orientation, not according to my own preferences, but instead according to God's law, his desire, his design, instead of living selfishly for myself, God has called us to live selflessly for for him and according to his design and we find ourselves in first corinthians chapter 7 verses 1 through 9 where paul has taken before it was an illustration about marriage an illustration used to show us that our bodies belong to the lord uh, contrasting marriage with our sin uh, against marriage with christ right that sort of marriage so marriage is an illustration And now he just transfers from that, transitions from that into talking about marriage itself and the marriage relationship. So you thought my statement about microwaves and ovens was a little little awkward. Just wait until Paul gives us what he's going to give us in these nine verses. I'm going to read the passage in its entirety, and then we will walk through this passage like we normally do, like is our custom. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. (coughs) However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. God, please bless the reading of your word. In this passage of Scripture, Paul gets at the nature of the marriage relationship. What the marriage relationship is to be a a picture of. And he also gets at the nature of singleness and the value of singleness. One area that the church fails to address most often is Christian singleness and how people can live like singles in the world today. And the church often fails to address those who have lost 
spouses and those who were unmarried to begin with. But the Bible addresses um, both uh, both of these types of people, not only marriage. And so, as the church, we we place all this emphasis on how to have a successful marriage, and very little attention, if any, is given to those who are single, never been married. Very little attention is given to widows in the teaching of the church specifically. Now everything can be applied, right, but specific teaching. And very little attention is given to widow works in, in the church today. But the Bible actually talks about these things. So the benefit we have when we get to a passage of Scripture like this is we get to address these things as well. And if you are in this room and, and you have lost a loved one, a spouse, um, my, my heart is with you. Um, this teaching is, is relevant, and it may be painful uh, for you to be reminded of that loss on a Sunday morning, but I promise this teaching will be beneficial to you just like it will be beneficial to those in the room who are who are married and their spouse is currently living. Let's begin walking through this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the things about which you wrote. Now we've already discovered as we've been walking through 1 Corinthians that Paul wrote a previous letter to Corinth. And now it seems the church at Corinth replied to his letter with some questions of their own. We know that they didn't listen to his previous letter because he's writing this letter about some of the same things that apparently the church didn't get, right? They're still having some of the same issues. Um, and these questions that they asked him probably were questions about what he wrote in his first letter. There is no way to know the content. I, I wish we had these two letters. First, the letter that technically what should be First Corinthians, right? We don't have that letter. And we also don't have the church at Corinth's reply to Paul's Letter, but Paul transitions here into addressing their questions. He addressed the immorality that was present in the church at Corinth. Now he's addressing their specific questions. And they asked a question about men touching women. Okay. I don't know what the question was. Again, we don't know the content. But we can... We can maybe offer a suggestion as we work through the text. The, the question had something to do with whether or not it was good for a man to touch a woman. We don't know in what sense. Um, we don't know what kind of relationship the people in the church were assuming. We do know from chapter 5 that there was immorality re- reported from people uh, um, in the church at Corinth, uh, sin that was among the people. A, a man has his father's wife. We know that from chapter 5. So that could have something to do with what's being written now, right? It is good for a man not to touch a woman. And touch a woman here really does mean in a, in a sexual sort of way. Um, in a way that has to do with, with lust, um, in a way that deals with the fulfillment of one's own desires and one's own arousal. And Paul just says, flat out, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Um, I, I imagine that works the other way too. It's good for a woman not to touch a man. And as we move through the passage, we're going to see more and more like this, this deals with the motivation of one's life. Um, either we are interested in our own gratification and our own 
arousal and stimulating ourselves in some way, or we are interested in denying self, taking up our crosses, and following Jesus. And, and the two lifestyles really are not compatible, right? And we're going to see this more as we move through the text. Verse 2. But because of immoralities, there, the Greek word porneia, which is the word from which we derive the English pornography, right? But because of immoralities, porneia, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. Here we see something very significant about the marriage relationship. And this is why in the Christian community and why in the uh, Jewish community even, parents encourage their children to marry young, uh, to marry early in life rather than late in life because marriage is a shield against the sin of porneia. Um, how is marriage a shield against the sin of porneia? Um, the nature of marriage, as we saw last week, is sacrificial, right? That was the whole microwaves, oven uh, illustration, okay? Marriage in itself is sacrificial. It is a sacrificial relationship, the, the giving of oneself to another person, not for the purpose of self-gratification. If my motivation for getting married is, woo, she's hot. It's not a great motivation starting out, right? But if I am giving myself to an, another person, this is sacrificial. That's what love is. Love is sacrificial, not self-gratifying, right? And the sacrificial nature of marriage turns my attention toward giving myself away, being a sacrificial servant to my, to my spouse in an exclusive way. That alone keeps my attention focused in, in the opposite direction than self-gratification or, or my own arousal. If I really love my spouse, my attention won't even be in that direction. But then there's also the presence of a spouse that safeguards people from porneia, right? So just the presence of a spouse. Just the presence of a spouse is is enough to deter us from that sort of... I'm just going to turn this off. Is that all right? Yeah? All kind of technical difficulties this morning. Man. Oh, I feel free. <laughs> Liberty. Isn't that a great illustration for what Christ does for us? He frees us from the shackles. Of, okay, never mind. <laughs> preach it, brother. Preach it, preach it. Let it walk. <laughs> Yeah, just the presence of a spouse frees us from... Fr frees us, see? There it is. Just the presence of a spouse frees us from having to focus on our own arousal, our own gratification. So safeguards us in that way. A marriage is a safeguard against the sin of porneia, against immorality of this kind. Now, I notice a couple things about marriage here in these verses. Giving, not gratifying. Mention that. Second of all, marriage is complementary in nature. Notice what Paul says here about the nature of marriage. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife. This is verse 3. And likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife 
does. Uh, this isn't about the rights of each individual partner, right? Marriage quite literally is slavery. So marriage is giving, not gratifying. It is complementary. It is an act of slavery. It is, it is a shield against porneia. We do talk about the complementary nature of marriage in the sense that each partner is there as a help to the other partner. Part of being a helpmate is safeguarding our partners from sin, no matter what that sin is. And we can go back through the list in, in chapter 6, verse 9, right? Uh, fornication, idolatry, that's worshiping something or someone other than God. Adultery, effeminacy, homosexuality, thievery, covetousness, drunkenness, reviling, or swindling. Having a godly spouse is a safeguard. A marriage is a shield in a complementary way. We are here to complement one another, to, to build one another up according to God's design. And, and there, Paul, he just assumes that the proper design for marriage was defined in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Uh, God created Adam, and from Adam he created Eve, and he put Eve there as a helpmate for Adam. Uh, and as a, as a shield for Adam, of course, because people are... <laughs> depraved that that didn't quite work out right but when two people are regenerate and have the holy spirit it it works and i'm i'm okay to be offended by my wife because she is a shield to me a shield to me against sin and a shield for me against the the wiles of of satan she she is my shield so when she says, Andrew, probably need to think about that a little more before doing something. Men, it's, it's good for us to listen. And the same is true for women. But then also here, when it comes to the, the sexuality of the man and the sexuality of the woman, the wife does not have authority over her own body. She is not to be interested in self-gratification, and that is it right but the husband does and likewise because the bible actually places men and women as, as having equal worth right likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body he is not to be interested in his own gratification but the wife does the wife has authority over his body now marriage is Slavery. One of my favorite theologians, by theologian I mean hip hop artist, <laughs> goes, goes by the name of Kevin Burgess, said, or did he say it or did he hip hop it? Did he rap it? All right, well, no, he said, he said this if my wife's a ball and chain, boy, I love being a slave. Amen. Amen. When Paul is getting at the symbiotic slavery of marriage here. Marriage is the giving of oneself to, to another, and that makes marriage an, an illustration of the divine relationship, which Paul is going to get at later in 1 Corinthians. This is, a, this is a picture of the divine relationship, the relationship between Christ and the Father, 
and a relationship between Christ and the church. Marriage illustrates both of those relationships, both of those dynamics. And it really is beautiful when we start considering like the reason God created marriage in the first place. Sure, there is some gratification that comes along with marriage. Sure, he, he, he desires that we enjoy our spouses, enjoy their company, and enjoy that, that intimate bonding. He, he desires that. But that's not the purpose for which He created marriage. Understand, He created marriage first and foremost as a picture, as an illustration of the relationship He has with humanity and the relationship between the Father and the Son. When God created woman, He said, let us make man in our image, man and woman. He said, let us create man in our image. So in the image of God, He created only the man. It's not what Scripture says. And so in His image, He created only the woman. Not not what Genesis 1 says. No, the story of creation explicitly says, in His image, He created them. Them. Together. Them. As a picture of who He is. So every way in which a husband and wife relate to one another in a godly way, everything about that is a picture of God. Relationship within the Godhead between the Father and the Son and relationship between the Son, Christ, and and His church. And the sacrificial nature of the relationship. You ever think about this? Like the sacrificial nature of love, the sacrificial nature of the marriage relationship. And in Ephesians, you have Paul instructing men, love your wives like Christ loves the church. This is the mystery. I'm talking about Christ and His church, not only marriage, right? And women, respect your husbands. That, that dynamic, it's there because marriage is a picture of God. Marriage is is the gospel played out in everyday life as a man loves his wife sacrificially dying for her every day and as a wife respects her husband marriage is a picture of the gospel it is an illustration Christ sacrificed himself and He calls the church to be living sacrifices. Men, you do not have authority over your own body. Your wives do. Wives, you do not have authority over your own body. Your husband does. That's a picture of what Christ calls us to after sacrificing himself for us. So on both sides of the equation, Christ and the church, there is sacrifice. And of course, we can never repay Christ for his sacrifice. Right? Now keep this in mind. Marriage is a, a picture of the relationship between Christ and His church. It doesn't exactly reflect the relationship Christ wants with His church because that gets real weird real quick. And that's, that's not what Christ is interested in, okay? Marriage is a picture. It is an illustration. Verses 5 and 6 here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Stop! Okay, let's go home. Oh, we have to keep reading, don't we? Stop depriving one another, 
um, apparently in the church at Corinth, part of the question they asked him was, is, is it ever right for someone to deprive a spouse of intimacy? Here Paul answers with a loud no. Okay, So you're watching TV and I don't know, everybody loves Raymond comes on. And you see the wife depriving her husband because she's punishing him for doing something atrocious. She told him not to do it. He went and did it anyway because he's a man. And she said, you're sleeping on the couch tonight. Okay? In marriage relationships today, marriage relationships that are of the world, people deprive their spouses all the time. And maybe it makes somebody feel more spiritual to deprive their spouse, right? To enter into abstinence. No, I don't need that. It's not about you, okay? I'm not in the mood. I don't feel like it. Not, not about you, okay? Or, when men finish and stop, the rest of that is deprivation. That is, that it's actually a sin according to Scripture. Or women get mad at their husbands. Guess who's not getting any tonight? That's that's not biblical. That is that is worldly thinking. And in the world, in world, no wonder so many marriages end badly today. People, people are less interested in forgiveness, more interested in withholding, more interested in self-gratification than being a living sacrifice. And you see, in the marriage relationship, this works out, and that, that leads right to divorce, y'all. It leads right to separation, it leads right to marriage problems. Why? Because I'm about me, not my spouse. Hmm? Stop depriving one another. Except, except by agreement for a time. Now this is interesting. So that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Now it's not acceptable to forsake one's spouse. But it is by agreement for a time, which means it's okay with both partners. By agreement for a time to abstain well for what purpose so that you may devote yourselves to prayer so that you may pursue your relationship with Christ Christ still wants a relationship with with us and the fact of the matter is and Paul's going to get it this in just a second when we enter into a marriage on this earth that takes some of our focus and some of our attention and in some ways we can't focus everything on Christ because we have spouse and that relationship requires of us it requires of our time and it requires of our money and it requires of our energy and it requires of our mind and it requires of our heart and we can't give as much to Christ if we are married so when it is agreeable for both spouses Paul says you can abstain, not forsake. Abstain. There's a difference, right? You never forsake a spouse. But by agreement, abstain for a time 
so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Build up your relationship with Christ. Serve Him. And come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Ouch. This isn't a, a permanent state of affairs. Why? Because pornea is a reality in the world. Because sexual temptation is a reality in the world. Paul lives in first century Rome. I don't know if you know much about first century Rome, but the the sexual sin there, dare I say, was worse than it is currently in 21st century America. Much worse. And sexual temptation abounds. There's a starting of the imperial cults while Paul is writing this with their temple prostitutes so that men could go and give themselves over to orgies and a a good time and call it religion. That just make you a little sick to your stomach? Sexual temptation is there and, and it's justified. This is our religion. Does that sound familiar? We live in a in the midst of a culture that is kind of like that, on its way to that sort of severity. So Paul says, don't abstain too long, because especially if you lack self-control, especially if you are tempted by that sort of thing, you will fall. Come back together. Marriage is a shield. But this I say, it is not required of people to abstain in this way. It's only by decision. If you have enough self-control to do so for a time, this is by way of concession, not of command. This is not required. You don't have to do this. So if you don't want to abstain in the context of a marriage relationship, don't. It's not required. By way of concession only, if both spouses are interested in growing closer to the Lord by doing something like that, if there is enough self-control in the relationship, you are not more spiritual if you deprive your marriage of its sustenance. You are more Christ-like if you are a living sacrifice for your spouse. Verse 7. Yet, I wish. This is Paul's desire. He's making it known. These are his wishes. It's not a sin if you're not this way. This is Paul's wish. Yet, I wish that all men were even as I myself am. How is Paul? He's, he's not married. In verse 8, we see that he equates being as he is to unmarried and widows. And in verses 11 and 34, in this chapter, in chapter 7, we see that unmarried is a term used to describe people who are previously married. This is why I think Paul is himself a widower. I think he I think he had a spouse. 
And I think that spouse passed away. Oh, Paul was a good Pharisee. Good Pharisees were married. He was in line to become a member of the Sanhedrin. You were, it was kind of expected. It didn't make one qualified, but it was kind of expected. You know those unspoken expectations? That was one. Well, I think Paul was married. So when he says here that all men were as I myself am, he's, he's writing as someone who has ex- experienced the death of a spouse, I think. Can't say it for sure because he doesn't tell us explicitly, but all the clues seem to point to, yeah, he was married and now he's, now he's not. His, his spouse died. He's writing as, as someone who lived and loved and gave of himself and, and, the, and the, Lord, the Lord took his spouse. He's writing from this perspective and still he writes, yet I wish that all men were as I myself am. He doesn't say, I wish all men would experience what I experienced. He doesn't say that. He says, I, I wish all men, and men there is anthropos, means people, right? Whereas I myself am. So this applies to everybody particularly to those who had a spouse and suffered the loss of that spouse and choose to remain unmarried. I wish that all people were like that, had that self-control, had that close of a relationship with, with God, with the Father. <coughs> However, each man... Anthropos person. Each man has his own gift from God. And one in this manner and another in another in that. Those of you in the room who have lost a spouse and choose to remain unmarried, man, I admire you so much. It takes some kind of closeness with Christ to be like that. Not to desire that sort of intimate companionship. Not to be tempted by the world and for those who have outgrown sexual temptation, the the temptation of of needing another person, needing that companionship. companionship. It, it takes a certain kind of closeness with Christ. Now you all who have suffered the loss of a spouse and remain unmarried, you are champions of the faith. I think that's the kind of maturity God is bringing us all into. I think Paul recognizes this. That's why he says, I wish you were even as, as I am. This applies to people who have never been married too. I hope some of you in this room haven't ever been married. Huh? <laughs> yeah. The way this applies to you is you have the opportunity right now in your life to be a sword for Christ. To carry the gospel 
It doesn't matter how young you are. If you are in Christ, you can devote all of your life to it. You don't need somebody. It's probably good not to just search somebody out. Like, okay, when I was a teenager, yeah, especially going to a public school and being around that, that atmosphere and being surrounded by like, like dating culture, okay? You weren't somebody unless you had somebody. Yeah? The Bible tells quite a different story. Like if, if you are not enslaved by that desire, you can do so much with your life. And if marriage is God's plan for you, He will bring somebody to you. Plain and simple. So marriage is a shield. Y'all, singleness is a sword. Mm. Marriage is a shield. Singleness is a sword. Paul wishes that all people were as himself, but but each person has his own gift. If you burn with passion and burn with lust, marry. And that's where Paul goes with this. It says first in verse 8, I say to the unmarried and widows, they're probably getting at widowers and widows, but applying to those who have never been married. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I unmarried. Why? Because you're a sword. Devote yourself to prayer, to your relationship with Christ, and to, to serving Christ in the context of a local church without having to divide your attention. There, there are advantages there. Verse 9, But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Lest the Bible just makes it painfully clear. There are people who cannot control their lusts. Paul doesn't say, get that under control. I think he knows it's impossible. Okay? Unless you're especially gifted with that. Impossible. He doesn't say, go throw out all your computers and get rid of all your streaming apps. He doesn't say, don't go to the store and don't look at magazine racks. He doesn't say that. Instead, the advice he gives is, Mary. Because marriage is a shield. Y'all, I I used to burn. Burn with passion. Burn with lust. I mean, it was bad. I mean, I would stay up till like 2 in the morning just so I could catch that Girls Gone Wild infomercial on TV. Okay? And I would let that stimulate me. It's, a, it's not not good. It makes you feel dirty and nasty, right? I'd be at the be at the beach. And ladies wear swimsuits at the beach, y'all. And I let that take my imagination way too far. And I had access to a computer. I knew what to do with that. Okay? And it was it's bad. Then I went to youth group, y'all. And in youth group, we had Purity Weekend or something like that. Yeah, it's all. And, and, and 
Well, even in school, like sex ed classes in a public school, which is itself just a bad idea. Okay, leave that to parents. <laughs> All right? You know, in school, they did the whole mixing glass thing. Like, if you have sex with a lot of people before you this is what your life will look like. And, like, the water turned black. And I was like, oh, in a youth group in church, signed a purity pledge. Everybody in youth group signed a purity pledge. And we call this purity culture. Okay, my whole generation experienced this. And you know what that did? It intensified our passion. That's all it did. Let me tell any kid, you can't have that. What is their desire? <laughs> the bad, bad idea. Paul's advice is different. Marry young, seek the Lord. So I would, I would burn with passion. Okay. Came to know Christ when I was 15. And got married when I was 21, right before I was 22. The longer I lived with Christ, by the time I got married, Christ was already bringing me out of this bondage. Okay, And it wasn't because I was throwing away my computers or getting rid of streaming apps or any of that. Not because I was staying away from all magazines because you never know when you're going to turn the page and or not watching TV at all because now you watch TV and they don't even warn you before it comes up. It's just... Right? It didn't take me staying away from any of that. All it took was a relationship with Christ, a real relationship with Christ, not one of those bogus relationships with Christ where you're, you're pretending to be pious and you're, you're, you're church attendance and, and praying the prayer and uh, you know going to accountability group and if you don't have anything to say and making up a sin so you don't sound too spiritual, okay? It wasn't any of that. It was just a relationship with Christ. And then I got married, and I, yeah, I got married for selfish reasons. Okay, I, I, well, at first I thought she looked weird, and then I was like, no, nah, she's pretty hot, so I like her, right? <laughs> I wouldn't have said that if she wasn't in here. <laughs> and then I learned how to love my wife. When I learned how to love my wife, Christ was showing me how he loves his church. Teaching me to be a, a living sacrifice. When I started learning how to be a living sacrifice, I, I just desired less and less my own arousal and my own stimulation. You know, it only happens by way of sanctification, which is exactly opposed to human works exactly opposed to workspace righteousness of any kind. It's like overcoming any addiction, even to drugs or to alcohol, right? 12-step programs, great. They, they help a lot of people. But you notice after somebody gets through a 12-step program, they're always still fighting against the urge, and every day is a battle. But you talk to somebody who has the Holy Spirit, and now things are different. Because they say, yep, I was, I was an alcoholic. But I can be around it now, and other people can enjoy it, and I'm fine with that. I don't even crave it. 
That's when you know somebody's free. The same is true with lust, with sexual temptation. That's only possible through regeneration and washing of the Holy Spirit and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in one's life. The 12-step program cannot do that. You can't just do behavior modification and hope people change. Look, the church failed there. The church mucked it up there as a whole. I'm not talking about this church. As a whole. With my generation because everything was purity culture. You overcome this. You have enough willpower to, to do this. And no, you don't according to Scripture. You need the Spirit. Amen. He must lead you. Hey. The Jews of the first century, the context in which Paul is writing, they were bogged down by that sort of works-based religion too, weren't they? This is what you must do. This is how you must do it. And if you don't, well, you're on God's bad side. He, he hates you. <laughs> Pretty much what it sounds like. So people go around with all these heavy burdens on their shoulders. The burden of legalistic religion. Oh, I have to do all this stuff for God's going to hate me. Or I have to question my salvation at every turn. Jesus preached a sermon on the mount. It's all about grace, by the way. He said, those of you who are weary and burdened, talking about by legalistic religion, come to me and I will give you rest. Y'all overcoming sexual immorality. It's one of the easiest things I've ever done. That's because it wasn't my work that accomplished it. It was God's Christ in me. If, God forbid, something did happen to my wife, I might, I might be able to do what the Apostle Paul's asking When God created the human body, the human body is not bad. Lust is bad. The body was not created for lust. Paul has already told us that, right? So we're watching television in our in our home. We don't know what's coming next, right? But something does come up, and I notice such a difference in my life now than what it was before. Because it, it doesn't phase me. My, my focus is different. My attention is just different. Right? Such that I can say there really is only one woman for me. And I think that's what God is doing in sanctification, right? Because obviously the human body is not bad. The way people use the human body might be bad. The way people portray the human body sexualizes and objectifies everybody. That's evil. But the human body itself is not. And God created sexuality to be this really good gift. He created sexuality to show us a relationship, show us a picture of the relationship, an illustration of the relationship He desires with us, and the relationship between the Father and the Son. And not in a weird way, but in a way that shows us the, the symbiotic sacrifice there. It really is beautiful. 
the marriage that Christ offers between two people, it is so different from what the world gives us. And the singleness that we see described in the Bible is so different from what the world gives us. The world gives us singleness. Woo! Go out, party. Have a good time. You are free to live it up. To flirt with whoever you want. The world's singleness, biblical singleness is you are a sword for the kingdom of Christ. Right? You can devote yourself to the Lord, to prayer, to knowing Him, to serving Again, we see the Bible gives us something way better, more beneficial, and more fulfilling than anything the world has to offer. And that becomes more and more apparent as we, as we live and as we see the trends of our current society.